this episode of the Disease to Shore podcast on the topic of equine lab tests with Dr. Toby Penn Woodcock of Cornell University. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equal Management. The Disease to Shore podcast is brought to you in 2022 by Merck Animal Health. Penn Woodcock, DVM, DACVIM, large animal, is an assistant clinical professor in the Department of Population, Medical, and Diagnostic Sciences at Cornell University's College of Veterinary Medicine. She received her DVM from the University of Wisconsin, and she did her internal medicine residency at Cornell. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Ben Woodcock. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're really looking forward to this because all veterinarians use lab tests to help them make diagnoses or help them determine the best treatments for their patients and to follow up case progress. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what what do you suggest when you're talking to veterinarians about where do they start when they're even trying to decide what tests that they need to submit to you? Yeah, that's a good question. So we always start by reviewing the history. Uh, We like to think about, um, you know, has the horse traveled? Um, What are the clinical signs? What did you find on your physical exam? And, you know, what tests have you already run? What are the results of those tests? Um, And then from there, we can hopefully formulate a differential list. Um, Once we've got our differential list, I can help narrow down, okay, um, for these various differentials, I recommend these specific tests and here are the samples that you need. Uh, So hopefully we can get that far um, and they can head out and collect those samples um, and go from there. So it's it's really a partnership. So you're recommending that veterinarians when they have these cases that, you know, if if they're thinking about, you know, what are the differential diagnoses or which tests, it's, it's okay to call their lab, whether it's Cornell or a different lab. Absolutely. A lot of uh, labs now have consulting veterinarians. Um, Here at Cornell, we have three consulting veterinarians. One of us is always on call um, to answer our client questions um, through email or phone call. So, um, yes, and we encourage our vets to reach out because the better guidance they receive from us before their samples go in the mail or even before they collect their samples likely the better sample quality we receive you know the right sample with the appropriate test and the better quality of the results they get so yeah that guidance can be really crucial well that's that's good to know and that's that's a good tip is to you don't have to go blind you can call in and and talk to these experts who you know are working with diagnoses by using these tests and can really help you with that so let's say that you know you're going through your differential diagnoses and you're you're you know, trying to make sure you're collecting the right specimens. So what is, what about the handling of those specimens? I mean, is that's very critical. For sure. Uh, sample handling can make or break your ability to use that sample once it arrives to the lab for the test that you've requested. Um, for example, um, certain types of culture should stay at room temperature. They shouldn't be refrigerated. Other samples need to be frozen um, in order for, you know, whatever we're measuring not to deteriorate on its way between the patient and arriving to the lab. Um, And other samples absolutely cannot be frozen um, or we won't be able to give you a result. So most labs um, have a test and fee catalog online where you can look and try to see, okay, what's the appropriate sample handling for this test? 
I, I encourage everyone, you know, especially if you're requesting a test for the first time or just can't quite remember, try to, you know, familiarize yourself, yourself before sticking it in the mail. And then that's another important piece, um, that delay from, you know, when you collect your sample to when it gets to the lab. Some sample types and tests, um, it's okay for that sample to sit in the refrigerator for a few days over a weekend or over a holiday or, or whatever the case may be. Whereas for other tests, how you handle the sample between, you know, when you collect it and when it gets to us, um, having a short turnaround time really makes a difference. Um, so you're right. Yep, sample handling will have a direct impact on the quality of results that the lab can provide. And when you're talking about, you know, making the right decisions for which tests to do and that it's it's okay to uh, make sure and call your your diagnostic lab and talk to the, the folks there. So what kind of history are we looking for? If, if you're a consulting uh, person on with a vet in the field and they say, let's say we've got some common diagnostic workups. Let's let's start with fever of unknown origin. So what would you might recommend? Yeah, fever of unknown origin is a very common presentation in the horse. And we're, we're describing the horse that presents to its its owner or, you know, manager um, just ain't doing right. ADR, we sometimes say, you know, the, they notice the horse just isn't eating with its normal appetite, um, didn't finish its hay, um, seems dull, not as interactive as usual, laying down a little bit more, you know, lethargic and has a fever. Um, so there's not necessarily a leading clinical sign. The horse isn't obviously neurologic. It's not, doesn't have obvious respiratory signs. It doesn't necessarily have diarrhea or colic per se. It's just not acting right and has a fever. Um, so this could be any number of, of things. Um, and we need to consider respiratory uh, pathogens, GI pathogens, um, amongst others. Uh, so we, we need to be all-encompassing, considering diseases such as equine herpes virus. You know, the first sign is a fever. The horse may not have obvious clinical signs. Um, other diseases that we see commonly presenting this way would be Potomac horse fever. Um, anaplasma, phagocytophilum is another one. Um, Let's see what else strangles even, you know, when, when you have a really astute owner or barn manager who's taking care of the horse, sometimes they notice very quickly that the horse is off before there's a real leading clinical sign. And then they call you out to the farm and maybe your physical exam doesn't help you really zero in on a body system. So then you have to kind of think big. And in that situation, I would collect kind of a, a plethora of samples that don't require any invasive, you know, invasive diagnostics. So you can grab fresh manure um, and hold that refrigerated. Um, I mentioned um, Potomac horse fever, but another test that we can run on manure um, is equine beta coronavirus is a common fever of unknown origin cause. Um, we run that test on manure. Um, you should collect. Uh, a nasal swab or nasopharyngeal wash to cover the, your bases for all the various respiratory pathogens. So I mentioned equine herpes virus, types one and four, 
um, equine influenza, we have adenovirus, rhinitis virus, um, just to name a couple. Um, and then um, in our area, we see um, anaplasma phagocytophilum, which is tick-borne, um, and that's a test on EDTA whole blood. So grab a purple top EDTA whole blood tube, always good to grab a, a serum sample, um, as I mentioned, a nasal swab or a nasopharyngeal wash to cover your respiratory bases and a manure sample. I mean, those samples are, are going to cover a lot of the, your ability, will allow you the ability to run a, a lot of different diagnostics. Well, that's a great tip. And that's, you know, one stop. You, while you're there seeing the horse, you can do those very simply and have those sent in. And that's, that's a great tip for vets in the field. Um, let's, let's look at one. Let's, let's pull down a little bit. What if you come in and, and the horse is showing some respiratory signs, but still not anything specific? The vet calls and says, okay, so I've got this horse showing a little bit of respiratory signs, maybe a little snotty nose, sounds a little funny, off feed, whatever. So what, what are you going to talk to the veterinarian about? Yeah, so... Um, again, I think that goes back to that list of respiratory pathogens that we just considered. Um, you know, if the horse, even if the horse doesn't have a fever, I would still consider infectious pathogens. Um, bearing in mind that, you know, we see horses with equine asthma, of course, um, presenting, you know, with respiratory signs too. So hopefully your physical exam and kind of talking through the history with that owner will help you decipher whether you think it's infectious versus um, otherwise, um, because you're going to head down kind of two different paths there, but we'll focus more on the infectious side of things. Um, so for most of your respiratory pathogens, a nasal swab or nasopharyngeal wash will allow you to run PCR um, for a lot of those pathogens. It's important crucial to remember not to stick that swab into bacterial transport media if you're planning to run PCR um, because some labs will reject your sample. Um, so um, when in doubt, take two samples, a swab that you put into just a plain non-additive tube with a little bit of saline so you can run PCR on that. Um, and then a sample swab that you've inoculated maybe into aerobic bacterial transport media. Um, and the main test that you would run on that would be strep equi culture. Um, we can also do strep equi PCR on your sample that's not in transport media, um, but sometimes you want to do both. Um, so just to reiterate the pathogens uh, we'd be considering, EHV1 and 4, equine influenza, equine rhinitis virus, equine adenovirus, um, We've been hearing more and more about EHV2 um, being a player in respiratory disease in horses. So you probably want to consider that as well. Um, and of course, this is not an all-encompassing list. There may be other, um, other things to consider. Um, so that, that, covers, that covers a lot. You know, we could spend an hour talking about Strangles Diagnostics. So um, that might... That that will require more time on a different podcast, I think. <laughs> and we may come back and do that because Strangles has become a, quite a, a acknowledged player around the country these days. We're seeing more and more cases being reported. It may have been the cases in the past, but now they're reported. So owners are paying more attention. Yes. And um, 
I should add that for herpes testing, horses both shed nasally and they can be viremic, so you can have virus in the blood. Um, whenever you're doing diagnostics for herpes, it's a good idea to get both a nasal swab for PCR and an EDTA whole blood sample so that we can run PCR on both samples and give you a better chance of making a diagnosis. Okay, that's a good tip. Work on your summer scan. Enter for the chance to win a Global Pocket Reader Plus in Merck Animal Health's Sizzlin' Summer Sweepstakes Giveaway. The Global Pocket Reader Plus is an ISO-compliant universal microchip scanner for horses. It is able to read and store up to 3,000 unique microchip identification numbers and displays and stores microchip temperatures when reading biothermo microchips. Enter before August 31, 2022 by going to www.merck-animal-health-usa.com forward slash species forward slash equine forward slash summer hyphen sweepstakes. And let's go to the, the uh, favorite of all veterinarians, diarrhea. So you have a horse that comes up with diarrhea and it can be, oh my gosh, how many different things can cause this? And what do you do? Yeah, so the age, you know, the signalment of your patient is going to sort of lead you down some different paths there. I would say, you know, foals versus like yearlings and then adults, they can have different pathogens to consider. Um, adult horses, um, some of the pathogens, you know, acute onset diarrhea, you're probably thinking a little bit about their husbandry, have they traveled, do they live in a boarding facility? Um, and also just not forgetting to consider things that are both infectious and non-infectious. Um, so, we can do floats to look for sand, you know, depending on what part of the country you're in. Um, sand enteropathies might be more or less common. Uh, parasitism, some of the more arid, arid parts of the country, you may or may not be considering parasites on your differential list, um, like, for example, cyathostomiasis. Um, but I would say what we're usually wanting to rule out would include salmonella, clostridium difficile, um, clostridium, potentially clostridium perfringens, coronavirus, so equine beta coronavirus, Potomac horse fever, um, and then th that would be kind of your adult horse um, in your yearling, weanling age, really. You're really wanting to make sure you add uh, Lawsonia to that differential, Lawsonia intracellularis. And then if it's a full, the list really changes, of course, and we have considerations for rotavirus, um, both types A and B. Um, there's been, you know, more discussion about rotavirus type B, which has been diagnosed in, in Kentucky um, last, last year. Um, so that's on our radars now. Um, and other causes of neonatal diarrhea, like septicemia, um, of course, needs to be there too. And, you know, there may be toxins, um, in different parts of the country. So you need to just also think about, you know, your local environment. And sample-wise, um, you, you can't really go wrong if you collect, um, you know, a fresh fecal sample that you hold refrigerated, um, a swab of feces that you put in transport media, um, and 
Clostridial testing can be tricky. You need to uh, remember that the toxins are heat labile. So you need to make sure you grab a really fresh sample of feces and then chill it very quickly so that you um, can preserve those toxins if you're going to do toxin testing. Um, you know, labs use different tests for different pathogens. So depending on what lab you send to, you'll want to, um, you know, pay attention to that. There are PCR panels out there um, for Clostridium versus culture or toxin testing is one example. Um, and then for Potomac horse fever testing, that's a, a test that can actually be run PCR on either EDTA whole blood or feces. So again, you want to check in with your lab and see what their preferred sample is. Uh, yeah, so I think I've hopefully I've covered most of the uh, differentials there. That's, those are great. Those are some great tips in there. And again, it, I, I want to go back and reiterate this again. So it's not uncommon when you have vague clinical signs and you don't get leads on what to look for. It's, it's okay to call your lab and say, here's what I've got. Here's the background because it may key you in because you may have been seeing something else from that area or that region that's been, th that maybe the veterinarian doesn't know about. You might, you might suggest, oh, well, We've had quite a few clostridial uh, cases, so maybe we should pull this test. Yeah, um, so absolutely regionally pathogens vary and seasonally pathogens vary. Uh, like beta coronavirus, we tend to see that in the wintertime um, and less so in the summer. So when a horse presents with colitis in the summer, it's lower on our list uh, here in the Northeast where I am, um, but it's not off the list entirely. Um, and so, yes, absolutely. Talk to your lab. Um, they'll probably have some insight for you. Okay. And I, I just wanted to ask about Cornell specifically. I know you, when you and I had, had talked before we started the podcast, that there isn't actually some plans that you offer by species, including an equine. Could you explain that a little bit and what that might mean to veterinarians who would use the Cornell lab? Yeah, and, and this tool that uh, we offer here at the Cornell Animal Health Diagnostic Center is, um, is a tool that could be used by veterinarians submitting to any lab. It's a great brainstorming tool. Uh, so we offer, as you mentioned, these are diagnostic plans by species, and equine is amongst them. We have plans that address diarrhea, respiratory, neurologic, weight loss, ill thrift, um, fever of unknown origin, just to name a few, and there are others. Abortion is another great plan. Um, and so these are what we say a la carte, meaning a list of tests and the specific specimens you need to collect um, and, and how to handle them um, for that disease process. Um, and you just go to our website, you can scroll down to the bottom of the page. You'll see a grid of species there. Click on the horse and you'll find all of our plans. Um, they're printable. And a la carte means that you, you don't have to order every test in the plan. We are just trying to tell you, here's all the things that we would consider with this particular clinical presentation. And then you have to use your own insight and knowledge of the case to narrow it down or give us a call um, and we can help you narrow it down. Um, and some of these plans are broken down by, you know, age group or acute versus chronic. So 
um, acute diarrhea in an adult horse versus chronic diarrhea, we would consider different diagnostics. Um, same for respiratory. Um, we have neurologic plans, equine neurologic plans that are blood only because a lot of practitioners in the field don't, don't necessarily feel comfortable collecting CSF or the horse can't be referred and they have to just do what they can with the samples available to them. Um, so we try to make them, um, you know, practitioner friendly. Well, and that's really great. And I want to ask this. So where can, where should vets go to submit their samples? I mean, with the shipping that we have available today, it, it doesn't really limit us. We have to ship to the one that's, you know, just 15 miles away, correct? Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, some states might offer, um, you know, discounts for um, testing, you know, for animals within their state, um, maybe with um, infectious, you know, with an infectious disease concern, they may offer a subsidy program. Um, for example, New York State does. Um, so that would maybe be one reason to consider using your local lab if they do offer discounted pricing for in-state submissions. Um, but uh, you can, yeah, you can send your samples anywhere, making sure that they're getting to that lab in a timely manner. And as you mentioned, with shipping today, you can get an overnight delivery label um, and get it there quickly. Uh, so some labs do specialize in, in different types of testing. Uh, so you might need to shop around that way. Um, and you know, even when you send samples to your local lab, if they don't offer a test, sometimes they're referring your samples on. Um, one thing to note is there is um, a kind of a, a American diagnostic veterinary diagnostic laboratories accreditation. Uh, and so, you know, those labs, they have quality assurances in place. Um, and they're, of course, um, performing to a certain level of of excellence and quality assurance. So sending your samples to AAVLD accredited labs um, is, is recommended whenever possible. Okay, well, that's, that's great. Is there anything else? I mean, I know we have covered things that could take a week to talk about or a month or a year just on an individual topic. Is there anything else though that you wanted to add just in general to these veterinarians in the field? Um, you know, I, I would say I, I, I've been there and I recognize that sometimes you don't know until you get to a call what you're dealing with. Um, so, and you may not know what tests you need to run um, specifically. So it's good to have like a minimum database of samples that you should collect from kind of any, pay, any horse um, so that you have the opportunity to run a variety of tests. And you should put those samples into a variety of container types um, so that doesn't limit you either. Um, so mainly I, it's the samples that I mentioned for that fever of unknown origin panel. So it's always good to get a red top tube of blood, a purple top tube of blood, a fecal sample just in a, you know, a sterile leak proof container, um, you know, when appropriate a nasal swab or nasopharyngeal wash um, that you put, again, not into necessarily bacterial transport media, but also into a non-additive sterile tube, like a white top or a red top tube. Um, those, those samples are going to get you pretty far in your diagnostic workup. 
um, for common tests that we run, such as like serology testing on serum. So looking for antibodies, um, your you know chemistry analysis, CBC, you can do PCR on EDTA whole blood, um, a variety of tests on feces that, you know, keeping your feces fresh um, generally is a, is a good plan over freezing them um, and then making sure you're you're overnighting your samples to the lab um, so there's not a delay in turnaround time, especially when you are requesting any cultures. Um, and when in doubt, you know, put things in bacterial transport media as well to preserve organisms um, for as long as possible before they get to the lab. Well, those are some great tips. And just that last little list that you gave us is probably worth this whole podcast. And I will make sure and put a link in the article that goes with this podcast on equimanagement.com. So that if you want to get a direct link to the Cornell uh, plans by species, we can land you on that page so that you can find those um, for whatever you might be looking for. So. I really do thank you, Dr. Penn Woodcock, for joining me today on this episode of Disease Du Jour. And we thank our listeners for listening to us and also a big thanks to our sponsor, Merck Animal Health. We invite you to go back and listen to all the episodes of Disease Du Jour on your favorite podcast platform. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. The Disease Du Jour podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.